Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hello, I'm Scott Postma, your host, and I am joined today in studio by Jake Litwin, one of our uh, humanities teachers. Jake, good to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So, Jake, you are teaching for Kepler for the first time this year, coming right. on board, but you have been a teacher for a while. Tell us a little bit about you, about what you're teaching, about your family, and, and maybe just give our audience a little bit of an introduction to who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So this year, Lord willing, I'll be teaching Integrated Humanities, the Ancient and Classical Worlds. And then as well, I'll be teaching an elective, Apologetics, Defending the Christian Worldview. So those will be my two courses for this fall for the whole year, which I'm excited about. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Super. So you've, you've got an Integrated Humanities, which is a really kind of a worldview uh, sort of class that integrates philosophy, history, and theology and literature um, all together for a time period. And the period you're, you're teaching, ancient and classical, what, mm-hmm. what, what does that mean, ancient and classical? Like what time period would that be? Yeah, I mean, we're going all the way back to the beginning. And I mean, even just the idea of like Epic of Gilgamesh, right? I think, yeah. well, how much older can you get, I guess, <laughs> right? So we're taking it from there. All, and then we're going to, what I'm planning on doing is integrating, even reading the Bible through everything that we're doing, right? So we'll, we'll tackle Genesis and we'll tackle some of the Pentateuch and that type of thing. And we'll go all the way through and, and we're hitting, you know, Virgil and Plato, um, thinking off the top of my head. And then um, the Jewish war, which again, now we're going to, you know, post, you know, going in the eighties now in that, in that realm. And then even I'm purposely putting in some two modern books um, so the holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, mm-hmm. and the purpose of that is because that topic is going to um, integrate in some of the things that we're going to read about in the older stuff. You know, whether it is with scripture or even um, talking about holiness. You know, talking about God. You know, the Odyssey, which is going to be one we'll talk about more. You know, when we talk about the gods, plural. You know, what what did what did they think about those gods? How do they view them in that sense? And then. The other modern book is called The Unaborted Socrates, which is taking you know, that, that dialogue of Socrates, right? But it's putting it in a modern issue of which, you know, which is abortion. But I was thinking immediately that was still an issue even back then. He even talks about yeah. it when Socrates, he gets time traveled into an abortion clinic. It, they bring that up about this was something even back then, you know, that he's familiar with um, in some sense. So yeah, it's all all the classics from those, but then we're bringing in modern issues because those or modern books because they tie into what we're talking about here. I love the fact that when you're talking about these issues, you're thinking about perennial human questions, perennial human experience that is the same for all human beings at all times. Yes. And so students are sounds like is going to have an opportunity to look at those issues from as C.S. Lewis, you know, called mm. it from from an old book's perspective, from right. from a different generation's perspective, yeah. and then see it in our light. That's really great. Mm-hmm. How, how does that differ um, from you know an apologetics class to take in and you know an, an integrated humanities with these different subjects and in, in integrated all together uh, in a time period? How mm. is that different than apologetics? It sounds like you're reading a lot of, um, you know, the Bible and really mm. looking at the seedbed of where Christianity started. Right. Yeah. So the difference would be like regarding my apologetics class is in that class, it's going to be more of an emphasis of 
recognizing um, how do you how are you going to defend what is objectively true against the enemies that will attack the Christian faith. And as Bonson talks about, you know, my goal for that class is not going to be about, you know, how do you dodge bullets when, when bullets are, you know, shot at you metaphorically, but it's more of how do you take the gun out of the opponent's hand? Mm, That's going to, it's more of a tactics in that sense when we tackle different worldviews, but with humanities, this is going to be, actually, I want to share a quote that will answer this question from David Chilton. He he talks about the pagans in, in light of reading them um, from the Christian worldview, where he says, quote, virtually every page of Herodotus's history or Virgil's Aeneid bears eloquent and explicit testimony of the tyranny of the gods uh, exercised over every aspect of pagan life and thought. Yet it all came to a halt with the resurrection of Christ. The gods suddenly stopped talking. Mm, that's powerful. Now, yeah. okay, so I'm, I'm going to push into some weird corners here for a yeah. second because what I'm hearing you talk about the the uh the gods who stopped talking right um there's this really obscure passage you, you know in the one class you're going to be reading the bible mm-hmm. but in mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 6 there's this really obscure passage where these gods the sons of gods and the daughters of men mm-hmm. uh, came together and there were uh nephilim yeah. that were born and and a lot of people speculate all kinds of things ab- right. about that uh but i'm wondering what is your take on that when you you mentioned earlier that these gods you know mm-hmm. that that people worshiped and the the the, ty- the tyranny of these gods mm-hmm. um is there some sort of relationship between that did the hebrews have some mm-hmm. insight into some kind of um you know, strange phenomena about gods that carried on or, or what, do, what is your take on that? Yeah, totally. And that's funny with, with that passage, because as you well aware of, there's like this hot debate about were they spiritual beings or were they men? Were they right. just mighty men from a different lineage and that type of thing, right? Um, but to answer your question is you have, as, you know, Chilton even just referenced here is this idea of paganism is just... Um, obviously taking over in every area of thought in these cultures. I mean, obviously Israel was surrounded by it. I mean, you have to the point where you have obviously the prophets mocking them in some mm-hmm. sort of way of recognizing, well, they believe that they, they talk, they, they have a personality, you know, they do all these things and recognizing that um, to be faithful, to recognize the prophets condemning them saying, look, this, this is just a piece of wood. You know, we, they carve it, they, they carve a nose, a mouth, you know, hands and all this, but you can just knock it down and they mock it. Right. But I think, yeah, this idea of like, suddenly the gods stop talking, there is a spiritual warfare. There is Mm -hmm. a battle, you know, that is going on where you have throughout the period of the biblical worldview and all the books of the Bible, you have Satan trying so hard to really implement his seed and his attack on God's people. Right. He tries it with one generation and you see actually a biblical theology of really the the women trying to, you know, the attack on the women and, you know, like the Nephilim, you know, trying to bring about this. Well, this didn't work. Well, okay, let me try a different tactic. Instead of trusting God, you know, Satan will deceive and maneuver people in a different way. And I think there is this battle of a spiritual battle. And again, the pagans will will carve it and say, we're worshiping this. This is what it is. But as we know in the God of scripture, as, you know, in Deuteronomy and Isaiah says, there's only one true living God. And recognizing that the climax of all of this paganism growing and Satan trying to take dominion is going to come to an end and a destruction with the resurrection of Christ. You know, he tries to kill, um, you know, he tries to deceive Adam in the garden. 
you know, and then God's going to bring redemption. But then you have, you know, Cain, and then you have this lineage of, of deception, and you have a flood, right? And then you move on to the Exodus, and then you have, you know, Pharaoh. Okay, now we're going to try to wipe out the Hebrews in this way. And then, you know, God redeems them from there. And it's this pattern over and over. Satan's just trying to, you know, show whether it's with gods or whether it's with murder or whatever it is. And then you have the resurrection of Christ conquering in this redemption that, that happens. You know what? I love listening to you talk about these, these courses and, and the ideas that you guys are going to be talking about in your class is this modern view that education is all secular in, mm-hmm. in secular in the purest sense, meaning that there is no um, worldview uh, infused into a, a secular education, that it's just simply some kind of neutrality. Right? right. And yet from what I'm hearing you say, you know, it's either going to be the, the, the pagans, <laughs> it's yeah. going to be satanic it's go- or, yeah. or it's going to be a Christian prevailing worldview that all education, all history, all literature, all philosophy boils down to some sort of, um, you know, apply for the culture. Right. right? Absolutely. And, and so the students in your class are going to be learning about this from a Christian perspective and seeing how this has played out. And recognizing too, it's the only way for any of it to make sense. Mm-hmm. I was, I started reading last night, uh, Rush Dooney's intellectual schizophrenia, you know, if you've read, <laughs> if you've read that and what's, what is fascinating about what Rush Dooney says in this, it's a small book, but talking about that anytime the state, the secular education tries to get a handle on truth or about indoctrinating or teaching students, well, it's the irony is, is they're always stealing from the God of the universe. There's no way around it, right? There's no way around to say, this is absolute truth, or this is how the world works. Anytime they make an objective standard about something, you are stealing from the God who made you that they are suppressing that they're holding down, right? So there's no other way because neutrality is a myth, no matter what people try to say in regarding education. I love that book for for a lot of reasons, yeah. um, I, and I'm I'm more just vaguely familiar with it through several quotes and and pieces of yes. it uh, from yeah. some other study than than actually having read it. Uh, but part of the thesis there is that a lot of times Christians, from that very perspective you're talking about, they want their children to be educated, mm-hmm. but then they're, they're they want to send them to a place that's really just borrowing from the Christian exactly. worldview, right? Yes, and so there's yeah. this sort of schizophrenia going on in in the Christian mind. Right. I think he wrote that what back in the 70s or 80s or yeah, or, or, something. or even like maybe before 60s, that. maybe okay, because yeah. um, I think it was a second book, second or third book, okay. so super early and. I mean, as you know, anytime you read his stuff on education, you're like, how in the world is it this old? Yeah, like you right. see it happening <laughs> in front of our faces, you know, it's, it's crazy. Well, this is fascinating. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, from, from an apologetic standpoint, um, you know, there, there are, uh, you know, presuppositional apologetics or mm-hmm. classical apologetics. Are you taking a particular position in this class or are you viewing the different approaches to apologetics or is this more of an apologetics proper where the students walk away, you know, armed to be able to, you know, defend, you know, as you said, or disarm, you know, the enemy. Yeah. How, how is this class going to be approached? Yeah, totally. Well, if anyone who, sees my book list for this class will know right away, oh, I think he's leaning this position. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty clear that, yeah, I am as a teacher, you know, again, no neutrality. I'm coming from a presuppositional perspective, right? A Bonson flavor, uh, Pastor Doug Wilson, that type of flavor of apologetics mm-hmm. is what I'm going to do. And can I, can yeah, I stop you for, for a it. second and just ask for our audience sake, what is 
presuppositional apologetics? Like what, what would mm-hmm. a person expect? Is this some sort of foreign idea <laughs> yeah. like, like, you know, that, that yeah. has never been known, but what, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. What it means is that the perspective that you, that you're taking in your defense of the Christian faith is recognizing that every human being, we all have presuppositions, right? Mm-hmm. We all have, when we, when we go to read something or we go to a piece of evidence, we already have glasses on that's going to interpret what this evidence is, right? right. Um, and this is obviously uh, the classic passage, you know, of the foundation of this would be like Romans 1, where we would argue that all human beings know. Mm-hmm. They already know that God exists. They know that, that there is a creator, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It's not that they don't know and you got to let them know. They know deep down in their heart, and it's not going to be you know, evidence that's going to persuade them. It's going to be recognizing that they already know they, they need a changed heart. They need to recognize, they need to repent of their sin and turn to the God that they already know exists, but they keep suppressing it. That would be a basic kind of overview of how you're approaching the unbeliever. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if, if I if I was to articulate this back just a little bit, there is this idea in science that there's always observation mm-hmm. and then theory, right? right. So mm-hmm. we're looking at the same data yes. um, as an atheist, you know, Christian looking at the same data, and we say, oh, wow, that's evidence of the flood. And they yeah. look at it and say, well, that's evidence of billions of years of evolution. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, but we're looking at the same data. We, we, we interpret it maybe mm-hmm. differently because we're looking at it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like presuppositional apologetics is starting with that presupposition that God is the creator of reality Mm -hmm. and that any alternate reality other than what he's already revealed is one that is, you know, being is suppressing the truth and people are trying to come at it from some other direction. So we're starting with that presupposition that God owns all truth. Revelation is his and the Bible's true. Exactly. Start there. Yeah. Yeah. One illustration that a, um, a friend of mine, you know, will say, and other apologetists have said is like, if you were to look at the flood, you brought that up and, Someone would say, well, I can't believe in, you know, a God who, you know, world, you believe in a worldwide flood, you believe the Bible and the ark and this, this covered the waters. How could you even believe that? And from other approaches, you could say, okay, well, why don't we look at the fossil, you know, idea or this, or look at the, you know, how the age of the earth and look at these evidences to try to prove it. Or a presuppositional standpoint, which will tell the person, well, if God did exist, could he do this? Mm-hmm. And if the unbeliever said, well, yeah, if he exists, he could. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, your problem isn't with the flood. Right. Your problem is with God. Yeah. And that's what it's going to keep happening over and over again is your problem is not with this idea of, you know, the flood or, um, you know, the resurrection, raising people from the dead. Because, yeah, if God didn't exist, those stuff is crazy. Yeah. Right? But because God exists, it's not. It's not a problem for us. Yeah, that's a, that's a super, it's, it's a super easy fix on the the supposition that God yeah. exists, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that that solves everything. Well, right. it it sort of reminds me when um, uh, I was involved in church planning work years mm-hmm. ago, and one of the things that we would often in in discussions with people that that would you know always push back for some other reason, another mm-hmm. reason, and yeah. this wasn't enough room. And and often we get to the place where I just ask the question: Okay, if you could have, if I could give you enough evidence to mm-hmm. satisfy beyond every doubt that you have, mm-hmm. you know, beyond any reasonable doubt that these things are true. Let's just suppose for the sake of mm-hmm. argument, I could supply every bit of you know evidence yeah. that you wanted. 
would you bow the knee and confess mm-hmm. Jesus Christ as Lord? Yeah. No, I wouldn't. They would not. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is yeah. the, this is the real issue. It right? is yeah. because, and it's, and when you do that, like, or you, when you, when you fight with them with this evidence is you're making them the judge. Right. Right. And you're, and you're letting them be the judge over God and recognizing, no, like that is not how the world works. You have to put them in a place where it's like, God is the one judge over you. I'm not going to allow the unbeliever to take things from the Christian worldview, like evidence or truth or yeah. good and evil or beauty. I'm not going to let them use those things against me because those are things from God. Right. Right. And that's what I want to encourage students with is one of the things that I want to be able to push and encourage students is the recognition that it's not about gathering all this data. Well, do I have to learn, you know, all the elements of Buddhism and Islam and Mormonism? Do I have to be able to be confident to share my faith? And and I would say, well, those things are important. You know, if you're if you have like a Muslim friend or a Mormon friend, I mean, it's good to understand their perspective. But I want to lay the foundation, and I want to share a quote from Bonson. And one of the books that we're going to read is um, "Against All Opposition," and this is kind of the approach I'm going to leverage with this class. Is he says on page 66, talking about religious philosophies, subdivisions, different cults or religions that just keep pushing in different worldviews. He says, quote, no matter what kind of subdivision of a subdivision of whatever bizarre little cult a person might belong to, it makes no difference. The questions are the same and the problems with non-Christian answers are the same. It saves a lot of time to get down to the basics. You don't have to master all the high level details of what everybody out there believes because you can talk to just about anybody if you know the right questions to ask and you know what to push on regarding their operating assumptions. Close wow. quote. That's fabulous. Right. So that's how I want to encourage students, right? Ask the right questions, know your Bible, mm-hmm. and you can have the confidence to share your faith with any subdivision of a different worldview. So it's it's not about accumulating a whole bunch of data, as you said, and yeah. information about all these different cults and, and isms mm-hmm. that are out there, but rather understanding how the world works, yep. what the gospel means, and then that itself becomes the catalyst for conversations about just about anything. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, what is yeah. that said about Lewis that you could just about anything you, that he wrote you, uh, I can't remember. I think uh, Hooper, somebody said that uh, you could know what Lewis believed about anything uh, from what you read about or what he wrote about what anything, wrote about. something, okay. you know, yeah. in other words, basically it was all uh, latent in his, you know, his worldview was yeah. all latent in whatever he wrote And there. Mm-hmm. I was kind of butchering that, but, but it sounds like that's the approach you're going to take. Yeah. So, so who should take this class? What, what grades are you thinking about? What um, are, are you targeting? Who, who exactly would benefit from this class? Yeah. My approach originally is, and I still have it here is 10th to 12th graders. I think kind mm-hmm. of uh, mainly because of, just the reading, maybe material, you know, Mm -hmm. that was kind of the outline that I had when I taught in previous schools was that same grade. So I figured I would just kind of keep that the same ways. And, and even with apologetics too, is, um, that's kind of what I'm targeting, especially because we're in, they're in the latter half of their high school years where they're going to be going out into, you know, the world and whatever, Mm -hmm. whether it's a job or college or whatever it is and, and kind of targeting to be able to prepare them for, whatever the Lord's going to have in front of them that they can be ready for. 
That's fabulous. So um, in, in a little bit of the time that we have left, I, I'd, I'd like to turn our attention back uh, to your integrated humanities class yeah. for just a moment. You had mentioned uh, the classical period in, mm. in looking at, um, you know, in thinking about the apologetics class. This is the gospel, defending the gospel. Mm-hmm. But the gospel is really born, right, mm-hmm. in, in, in our current, you know, our, our understanding of the Christianity, the seedbed of the gospel is this classical period, right? At right. a time yeah. where uh, you have, you know, Greco-Roman culture, and I use that really broadly because, yes. you know, there's a lot of things that are Im- implied in that. Um, and you mentioned in in one of your, I think, in, in the course description, I think, um, talking about Josephus and mm-hmm. uh, the, the rebellion, the Jewish rebellion in 66 to 70 AD. Yeah. Um, how does that play into how students are going to to read these works and think about the gospel in terms of this integrated humanities class and, and that particular period? Yeah, that I think is such an important period. And I'm, I purposely put that in there because something significant did happen in that generation mm-hmm. in regarding that time period between, you know, 80, 30, 80, 70. I mean, this was the climax where you have the resurrection, but then you have this this period, this 40-year period of God is taking Jew and Gentile and he's making one new body, mm-hmm. right? And one of the key factors in understanding biblical theology and even part of the kingdom and the, the kingdom and the gospel is recognizing that Jesus predicted there was going to be this end of an age where these old covenant systems and this idea of Jew, Gentile, all these things are going to be completely done away with. And this was the prediction in Matthew 24 about the temple being the supreme um, model of old covenant systems was going to be done away with because that is no more. Mm. Right. And from that, you know, the way I'm going to be approaching Josephus is that we're going to read the book of Hebrews alongside with it. I think that's a very important, I mean, I think you Hebrews is one of the most important books in all of scripture. All of it, obviously we know is equally important, but Hebrews is recognizing that this is the new covenant, the old covenant's passing away, but you have this idea of these people, these Jewish um, believers that are going into apostasy because they're tempted to go back to Judaism, going back to the old temple, the old covenant system. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, don't go back because you're going to die. It's going to all be done away with. Stick with Jesus. He's greater. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than Moses. He's, He's the once and for all sacrifice, right? And then tying into that, I want to be able to study Matthew chapter 24, which is Jesus's obviously apocalyptic um, sermon on that generation is needs to be aware of in within their generation, this temple is going to be destroyed. And Josephus being a pagan writer documents some of the horrible detailed graphic things that happened during that period. Oh, wow. I, I, I love the, the approach so this, this obviously, again, just like your apologetics is in, you know, it, there, there is implied in there a particular position, your presuppositional position. Yeah, right. So it sounds like then your treatment of Jesus's, you know, mm-hmm. sermon and, um, and, and teaching in, in Matthew 24 in relation to the historical events around AD 70 implies also a kind of eschatology. Absolutely. Right? A very optimistic eschatology there. Yes. So yeah. that's, this isn't the rapture. Right. The, right. No. Okay. All yeah. Right. Well, it's, and to go back to apologetics, if you're familiar, you know, with uh, the movie Collision, which we're going to watch mm-hmm. in apologetics, I want to okay. be able to watch that movie of Pastor Doug Wilson debating Christopher Hitchens. One of the, um, I think one of the best scenes in that movie is that Christopher Hitchens does bring up Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. If you remember this scene in 
he tells, you know, Doug, that Jesus said he was going to come within a generation. And, you know, is he, you know, implying he was a false prophet or he's a liar. And Doug, without even skipping a beat, right, answers the question saying, no, the promise was that he was going to come within that generation to destroy the temple and bring an end to these old covenant things. But you and, you know, he implied or Christopher thought as most obviously dispensationalists, well, that's their hermeneutic is this is all future. But Doug had an answer right away saying, no, he was right. He was right on the money is what Doug says that he came within that generation. And the director of the movie, Darren Doan says, you could hear a pin drop (laughs) in, in that debate, because I think the seminary students, I think a lot of them were shocked. Like, Oh, like, I don't know if I've heard this before or not. Right. Yeah. And, we, we, we've been inundated with lots of left behind kind yes. of thinking. So it's, it's hard to, mm. to skip over that back to some uh, more mm. of a historic Christian, um, you know, and optimistic eschatology. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So this is really interesting. Um, one, one of the things that in, in my own personal, you know, study ministry um, teaching that, that really dawned on me probably a little over a decade ago mm-hmm was the way in which the book of Romans um, really shows a new humanity, yeah. right? That, you know, this pinnacle is in is in the very middle of the book yes. in, in Romans chapter 8, right? So right. nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And everything leading up to it says, this is what the gospel actually does to, you know, this is the fallen race, this is where mm-hmm. you're actually at, and this is what the gospel does. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so the, here's the chaos that the gospel is bringing us out of. Mm-hmm. Now, what does this mean? There's this cosmos that is is actually formed, this welcoming, this mm-hmm. this community, right. this dividing of the walls, as Ephesians talks yes. about. Yeah. All of this is happening, and and we're living it out. And and it's a very you know when we understand Christianity from this perspective, and especially in terms of a. Um, integrated humanities course, you know, guiding the kinds of philosophy, history, and and literature that has been written, is that, you know, the gospel really does create this new humanity, this new life, and it's not just about pray this prayer, you get to go to heaven, take a, you know, ticket to heaven when you die. You know, humanity's been remade. Exactly. It's been made over. Yeah, we're new creations in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is even tying into eschatology, why eschatology matters, because now you have this idea of being a new creation in Christ and recognizing that Jesus is objectively Lord of all of creation and all that we study and read, you know, is he is the one guiding us through that. We recognize that, yeah, we have a lot of wonderful kingdom work to do to bring this gospel and recognizing that every area of life is now affected when you come to Christ, right? It's not Christian on Sunday and then now I'm neutral Monday through Saturday. It's recognizing how I think about politics, government, business, you know, all of it matters. And that's one thing I want to emphasize in my apologetics course too, is recognizing that all the different things that, that we do in life, that God gives us, the gifts that he gives us, the things that are put in front of us, there is a Christian worldview and answer to how we approach all the different things that he's given us. So that's exactly right about, you know, the idea of the uh, climax of Romans and recognizing what to do now is we are, are part of his new creation and we're building that. You know. yeah. What a, a fabulous opportunity. I yes. mean, that is very yeah. hopeful and very encouraging, especially when you see all the things going on around us. Oh, yeah. You know, you realize. Yeah. So, so you're going to instill in the students this understanding. That's fabulous. So um, you you mentioned a book earlier, The Unaborted Socrates. Yeah. And I actually have the book on my shelf and I've mm-hmm. never read it. Okay. Uh, I'm doing, yeah. I'm, I'm, str- 
I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but yeah. I'm striving for this thing. There's this Japanese word called sunduko. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard, but no. it basically means acquiring more books than you'll ever read in a oh, lifetime. Oh yeah, there right? you go. So, yes. Um, yeah. But so I have it on my shelf. I've never yeah. read it, but yeah. you mentioned it, and you yeah. mentioned it, it intrigued me because Socrates gets transported. Is something? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So tell yeah. us about that. It's a fun book. It's basically what the the way that the author um, writes this is that yeah, Socrates gets transported into an abortion clinic. And right away, I mean, the author does a brilliant job just, I mean, nothing's really changed. I mean, his personality is still the same. He's even wearing like the white robe and the, <laughs> the guy's like thrown off about, you know, who, are you sure you're Socrates? Like he's just, and he's like, yeah, like, you know, and they start having this conversation right off the bat about abortion. And they talk about, you know, it's, it's the way the book is written is it's the, you know, dialogue back and forth, questions, answers, it's going back and forth between them. And yeah, this is a story of Socrates is, is using his method and debating, you know, about if the, the main thing is, is, you know, the fetus, is that a human being and is abortion murder? Um, and it's funny because the back of the book, there's like three questions about that they talk about. And one of them is, can you legislate morality mm. is one of the, is one of the questions that they tackle in this book. And I, I was thinking, man, it's, it's, it was kind of frustrating. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this in, in the class is because, because obviously He's not, you know, coming from a Christian worldview. There's so many elements of where he misses the target. I mean, he's spot on, but yet, I mean, legislate morality. I mean, what do you mean? Every, every law that's in the books is, a, is morality, right? Yeah. Right? Like, what does that even mean, you know, in recognizing that? You I, know? I always hear people say that and then think, yeah, but you're legislating immorality. Yeah, well, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and Socrates will, will obviously, he's going to pin this doctor down to the corner of proving that um, this is a human being and, you know, is, and then they talk about, is it good or evil about, you know, practicing this operation? And then he gets frustrated and says, okay, well, I'm going to bring my friend who's a philosopher. We should go. He's going to speak on abortion. So the next day they go and visit this philosopher and then he debates him and then they go to another person and it's a fun dialogue, a lot of good arguments. But again, I'm, my goal is to say, look, all these things are spot on the book, but here's how we push it even further because we have the standard of truth. We mm -hmm. understand why murder is objectively immoral. We understand why abortion is murder. We can give a case because of the God of the universe, right? Presuppositions and yeah. all this making sense, but it is a fun book and seeing Socrates debate that, you know, as a Christian, I love that, that the answer is obviously going to be in the gospel. Yes. And then as an educator, I also love the fact that it sounds like this book is engaging different persons, right? In, yes. in the dialectic and uh, Joffrey and I, in our other podcast, the Everlasting Education Podcast, mm -hmm. this little plug for our listeners there, um, the, uh, we we discussed recently this idea that part of education isn't always coming to the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, although as Christians yeah. we we know the Scripture gives us that, but it's it's actually as Socrates, you know, the gadfly of of Athens, yeah. Asking questions constantly yes. without giving an answer was stripping yeah. away false ideas Absolutely. and approximating us more and more, you know, to the truth, even right. if they never, ever got to there. And so the, the idea of just talking through these and, and, and discussing mm -hmm. them is an education in and itself. Absolutely. I mean, you see the doctor getting frustrated so many times <laughs> and to the point where he's, um, again, using logical fallacies or saying, you know, things are dumb or silly or emotional responses, but Socrates is always bringing him back saying, well, no, I'm just educate me. You're the doctor and I'm just asking questions. And, and it's, it's really fun to see that. And, and like you said, it's like we as Christians have the opportunity to 
take the value that Socrates gives and asking questions and bringing it to, you know, putting more meat on it to show where this can go. Yeah. Right. Especially in this abortion battle happening today. Right. Yeah. That's, that's again, uh, and, and I don't want to overuse the word fascinating, but I am fascinated mm-hmm. always how these are perennial questions. Right. Yes. So even in the mm-hmm. Greco Roman world, this idea of a postpartum abortion was a very common mm-hmm. thing, you know, to, okay. to put it out. Um, but, but now we have, you know, through science and technology, yeah. we, you know, we have uh, sanitized this very ugly thing of, of, right. of murdering a baby. Um, and we've made it very clinical and, yes. and so kind of passed it off as a medical procedure. So this will right. be a great thing to engage students with. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other um, things that we could talk about. And, and as we are, you know, uh, really wrapping up our time now, yeah. um, I'd love for our audience to know a little bit about your background and, um, you know, as a teacher and educator, what your education's like, your family. Mm-hmm. And this way, you know, they get a little bit of insight. Who is Jake Litwin? And yeah. uh, why, why should students check out your classes? Totally. So, yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Southern California. So um, outside of Los Angeles, um, San Bernardino County, and um, didn't grow up in a Christian home, was raised um, uh, really actually Roman Catholic up till I was about maybe uh, 10, 11, 12, around that range. I remember right before I turned 13, we we switched to a liberal Nazarene church. So I was, I was surrounded by, um, you know, talks about Jesus in different, in different churches and stuff, but never really understood what the gospel actually was. I still mm. loved my sin. I was fascinated with the idea of, you know, God, but again, I was a slave to my sin, slave to what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I was uh, 16 that when I um, was, was put in a Christian high school, when I was a junior, um, we had to take a Bible class and the, and the teacher that I had was a pastor, just a, um, just a passionate reformed, you know, preacher that preached the gospel, taught biblical doctrine to us. And that's when I felt convicted and finally understood what Jesus actually did and understood uh, my sin and my need to repent and come to Christ. So I came to Christ at 16 and then just had a desire to study the Bible. That's what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and, and, and figure, this, figure this out. So I went to the Master's University in Santa Clarita, California and got my bachelor's degree in biblical studies with an emphasis in Christian education, thinking this was the route that, that I want to go is I want to take what I'm learning uh, from scripture and then uh, apply it and become a teacher. And that, that was, that was my goal um, in college. So um, with that, I got, I met my beautiful wife in college. We got married in 2018 and we moved to Moscow in June of 2019. So here now, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's been wonderful being a part of the Christian community here. Oh, that's great. It's a little yeah. colder here than in Southern California. Oh yeah, huh? just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, right. Well, Jake, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today and talking about these ideas and your courses. And for our audience, I'd love for you to come by uh, Kepler.education, uh, check out Jake's courses, and you can hit him up on the website and, uh, mm-hmm. and email him, ask him questions about the courses. And, and not only Jake's, but there's a lot of other fabulous courses that are being offered here. And, and we really just have a passion for letting homeschool students be able to experience from, you know, passionate teachers like Jake, um, you know, the, the Christian worldview and, and be able to offer courses that maybe would help subsidize a family or we can help with the diploma track. So come by and check us out. Uh, Jake, again, thanks for being here. God Thank bless you. everybody.